We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 319 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dean Hilton, and I am welcoming back to the show the OG Sampre Positivo Barcelona Podcast gets. It's Rick Sharma. Rick, are you tired yet about talking some of the about one of the most optimistic El Clasico losses in history? No, I'm not tired. It, it, it is fascinating, always, always Clasicos, and especially this Barca team with so many young players and so much potential that really we're only just starting to see Xavi have all that potential and power at his disposal. This was perhaps the first game you can say he had that with obviously Ansu Fati and Pedri back from injury and Ferran Torres making his debut. There's just so much to talk about. I can't get bored. Right. You look at the squad list on the website, you look at transfer marketing, you go, Barcelona's got a lot of really, really good players. And then yesterday was the first time ever where you felt like, oh, Xavi can't get all his good players on the field at the same time. But also, almost none of them are fit. And that was a thing that we're going to talk about throughout the match. But before we do El Clasico, this whole show is pretty much about the match that happened yesterday in the Spanish Super Cup. But before that, one reason for another reason for optimism, I should say, 50,000 tickets have already been sold for the Femini at the Camp Nou. So we talked about it early in the week. That was the announcement. The Femini will be playing that Women's Champions League match against Real Madrid. And it seems like people want to go. And that was, I think, the, the fear. The fear was that they would not get enough attention. But 50,000 tickets sounds pretty good to me. And the ticket price oh, is actually low enough awesome. for people to go. That was actually the most important part of that. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of that too, because I think socios could apply and get some free tickets or pay like a very minimal fee. And then other people can buy tickets today at half price the day we're recording, which is Thursday. And then I think the rest of the tickets will be on sale. And I reckon they, they could get pretty close to, to filling it up. I haven't got a ticket yet, but I think I will get one because... It's going to be a big event. I'm really excited. Femini watching them play towards the end of last season, especially was was incredible. You know, they play genuinely thrilling football. Yeah, I mean, I'm jealous of you of you going. I mean, even the the match yesterday against Huelva, where they had a lot of the subs and it took about 30 minutes to get into the match, and then you kind of realize, wait a second, Alexi Butayas isn't on the field. Jenny's not going to be playing in this match, and then you just realize the riches. We talk about depth with the men's team, but the the riches that the Femini have, it's it's insurmountable and against that Real Madrid side that deserves to be there but they've also dismantled that Madrid side it is I mean you'd hope that it is a bit more fanfare that even if the result is already decided it's a celebration of Barcelona beating Real Madrid at the Camp Nou and uh, it's <laughs> as, as unceremonious as it sounds it is a Women's Champions League so it does deserve a little bit of respect and you always have to make sure you respect your opponent Real Madrid might you know they have a, they have some talent to surprise but I think the Femini will rise to the occasion to be at the Camp Nou again. But all right, so that's a lot of reason to have our optimism. 
The rest of it is the reasons for optimism to talk about the Spanish Super Cup. But Barcelona did lose El Clasico. And I had said earlier in the week that, you know, what didn't matter was the context of the match. A Spanish Super Cup match in Saudi Arabia doesn't really matter when Barca are going for top four and trying to win the Europa League and trying to win the Copa del Rey, all trophies that matter more than the Spanish Super Cup. However, this wound up, I think, being because it's El Clasico, the El Clasico portion of it pushed this match's relevance to a place where you say, hey, this might be step one, truly step one of the Xavi program, because we saw so many of the players that he has not had at his disposal. Yeah, it was it felt important. And I think Xavi himself said in his press conferences that he wanted it to be important. And then he was asked about whether he wanted Madrid to have all their, you know, their best players fit. And he said, of course they do, because this is a, a great barometer to be a, a judge of how good my Barcelona are at this point which is it's always important to know, isn't it? Because it's quite easy to see, not that they have been beating teams easily, but you can see them beat your Elches or your Mallorcas and not really understand what level Barca are at until they end up facing a top team, which prob- you know, probably won't happen again this season, apart from the other Clasico, possibly in the Europa League. I'm not, I haven't followed Serie A. I'm not certain how good Napoli are at the moment, but... I, don't, I you know, Barca aren't going to be playing any Bayern Munichs or Manchester Citys anytime soon. So we might not fully, fully know whether Barca are in inverted commas back yet. But absolutely, this was a, a good test against Real Madrid. And to me, they showed they can compete. As, as Xavi said after the game, we can compete. We got rid of all those complexes that we had after the first 20, 25 minutes. And, and he, said, he said they dominated in the second half. And I wouldn't quite go that far, but I think it was a good performance. Yeah, I mean, they did shore up some of the issues. In that first 20 minutes or so, you could see that it was going to be Madrid breaking down that press, a numerical 3-2 advantage with Casemiro to Modric, and then to the left side for Vinny Jr. every single time, over and over and over again. And actually, that was the difference, I think, between Madrid having three goals and Barca having two in this match, was that Barca didn't have a player like Karim Benzema, who is at the top of his game. He's, I mean, the, the other than Lewandowski, a top two in-form striker in world football today in his playing prime. I mean, he's got 23 goals in 26 games for Real Madrid. And I mean, I hate him with so many fibers of my being, obviously. I mean, he's, he's, I mean, the, the French football scandal from quite a few years ago after that, I mean, that was when he wasn't in a Los Blanco shirt. And I said, I'm never going to like this guy. And then he puts on the white shirt. I mean, that doesn't help obviously. And so, yeah, I mean, Benzema, not my favorite guy, but I mean, you have to, you have to recognize the form he's in and just how good he is. And then Vinny Jr. In the same way where imagine Vinny, I mean, Vinny Jr. Is the the player who has the, the this season, the consistency has made the linear growth that we would hope that Dembele was on the field for, for doing, but Dembele hasn't really truly been on the field that long this season. Even he still only played 50% of matches or less. And then obviously Ansu coming back. And I think this is kind of the place to begin our, 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 our Ansu Fati segment, because I think for Real Madrid, I mean, they might come out of this match saying, Hey, if Benzema and Vinny Jr. were not the two best, we'll say players, you know, in quotes there, but the two most in form and hot play forwards in this game, then Barcelona potentially, who are not as good as we are on paper, at least, or we think they are, get a result against us. And the rest of it, I think, was a complete wash. The, the one difference being Vinny and Benzema. And then Ansu coming back after another layoff kind of reminded you that, hey, I mean, he can change a match too. And all he might need is a few games to really get up to form and kind of figure himself back out as the 10. But yeah, what did you see from Ansu in this one? From Ansu, I, I don't know uh, his overall performance in the second half, obviously, when he came on, wasn't 
for me, a great performance by any means. But that's normal because he, he has just come back from a couple of months off. And really, to be totally honest, over more or less a year off, he, you know, he came back for a little run of eight games, I think it was. And in that eight games, he scored four goals. So obviously he doesn't need much time to, to hit the, the heights that he can hit. But as I said earlier today to, to my colleague of mine, I don't think that Ansu Fati, we really understand yet as, as a player because he's simply not had that long playing full matches without getting injured. We need to see him for a, a good a good run of time playing football and then we'll fully understand it because we don't know whether he's his best position is going to be on the left side coming inside or potentially as a false nine because obviously he's so lethal in the box and imagine how good it would have, would have been if he scored that over kick towards the end of the game yeah. which I mean that that would have won Barcelona the game and it's that's the fine margins you have in in, in Clasicos and in all kind of high pressure matches like this I think you're right what you say about Vinicius and Benzema in the sense that they both have been in spectacular form but it's a bit like you look at how many classicos were did Lionel Messi make the difference in you know a, a huge amount of classicos if it hadn't been for Vinicius and Benzema in this one Barca might have won yeah very much so also over the last decade you can say that about Lionel Messi but the other way and of Barca have been have not so much recently obviously now five classico defeats in five but they had dominated Madrid especially at the Santiago Bernabeu for for a huge part of the last sort of 10, 15 years. And, and Messi was a huge part of that. So you, I think as good as Vinicius and Benzema, that they are part of Real Madrid's team. And, and you have to give them credit for, for that, for getting them into good form, like Ancelotti has done with Vinicius, especially. He's done whatever he did to Dominic Calvert-Lewin at Everton. He's done the same for Vinicius. Suddenly turned him into a, a goal machine except on a, on a bigger scale, because obviously Vinicius is a player that has a, a probably a much higher ceiling than, than Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Of course, it'd be nice for, Dem- for that to be happen to Dembele too. I-, I just don't know where we go with Dembele from here. I mean, it looks like all roads are pointing to the exit. But Xavi gave him 120 minutes yesterday. And Xavi doesn't do that if he, if he doesn't think that Dembele is committed. Because he-, he brought on Eze Abde and then he took off Eze Abde for Jukla late in extra time. So he clearly wanted to have Dembele on the pitch. He clearly thought Dembele was connected. And he, he didn't play badly, Dembele. And in fact, set up that first goal for Luke de Jong. Although I don't, I think I don't know if he'll get an assist for that because it came off Militao first, but it was Dembele's cross. It's just a, it's a puzzle. And the thing that that Ansu stands out for me as as a player that that Barca need him on the pitch for is his just that ability to to score goals that that Dembele doesn't have. I'm not saying Dembele is not a, you know not not a goal scorer or he's bad at shooting or anything like that. Although he has taken a few wayward efforts in the last few games, very sort of low percentage shots from outside the box, I think maybe he can make better decisions with. But there's just something about Ansu. I'm sure I've said this before. I don't know if people have heard me say it or not, but he's got like the Midas touch, Ansu. Everything he touches turns to goals. It's it's mad. Well, I actually was going back and forth on Twitter with Musa Kangwa about this and that, you know, you and you're, you're a writer and I talk so much about Barcelona and what, again, he's going to be number 10, sure. He's going to get comparisons to Messi. But what I said was that Ansu Fati has that thing. And there's this intangible thing in football where, and a Classico is a good example for it, where in a match like El Classico, where somebody has to decide it, where there's somebody has to be the cover art, somebody has to be the headline. And Ansu seems totally unafraid of those moments. Not to say that others are afraid of it, but he seems to have the ability to transcend whatever the match needs to become the match winner. And that is something, again, it's intangible. It's something that we can't really describe. And in the same way that Messi, there are no words to describe him at at a certain point. I don't think 
we can ever understand the words that are needed for the player that can do that thing, that can get the goal and be the guy when the team needs a goal and they need a guy to be the guy. And I know he's very young. And I think there's a difference between putting the pressure of a long season on him and saying that he is going to, oh, we're going to expect him to score 25 goals in the second half of the season, or right? Or 15 goals or whatever. That's not what we're saying. There are going to be games, as you mentioned. Ansu yesterday still looked like he was just getting his fitness back, just coming back. He didn't score the bicycle kick at the death, almost at the death of extra time. But the goal that sent the game to extra time, to even send it to extra time with that header, just as a reminder that Ansu is going to be in the right spots and he's going to finish the goals. He's the most clinical player that Barcelona have in front of net. And I mean, I don't think I'm, I'm over-exaggerating it that because he's still so young, I mean, he, in theory, just like Vinny Jr., is going to improve. And as Ansu improves, I mean, who knows what he's capable of? And I think, again, that goes down to the intangibles, that he already has that sense of of not being uh, afraid. or not even, Afraid is the wrong term, Rick. I think the term is that this ability to step up into the role that very, very few players can actually take on the responsibility of. And it seems like he's not a, uh, he's not warned by that responsibility. The only other player that I thought of, and maybe you have another example of this, that was this young, though. Because I think it's difficult to talk about Ansu because these kind of players aren't this young. It took Benzema until Ronaldo left. Benzema didn't become this thing. He didn't have that intangible thing where Benzema can win a match until he was 29 or 30 years old. And Ansu is... I mean, he really, we felt this this season, I think. Since Messi's been gone, someone else kind of has to, you have to get that feeling somewhere. And maybe it's just attracting my eyes to the number 10 shirt. But but Ansu seems to have that now. And he, to me, is the youngest to do this since, I, I'm thinking Michael Owen at Liverpool before his injuries. But can you think of any, like, really, really other young, young, I'm putting on a spot here, but are there any really, really young players that you felt had that thing that you said, this kid, I mean, I guess Mbappe. I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess Mbappe at Monaco. And because even Holland at Dortmund doesn't really score like the big goal in the big match. He just scores a lot of goals. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. Yeah, it's, it's, Mbappe is a good shout. I mean, yeah, I am. I am on the spot. I'm going to have to like think about this in like a second track in my brain while we while we continue the conversation. I think Michael Owen again is like a a good comparison. Him bursting onto the scene in World Cup '98 and scoring that goal against Argentina, of course, stands out. 
it's it is remarkable what what Ansu has, and you're absolutely right when you say it's intangible. It's it's like this innate somehow innate ability to to be the guy at, at the right moment, and it's not the same thing necessarily as just being you know a big game player because. I'm a Chelsea fan. I, I love Didier Drogba. He was a player that always in the big game stood yeah, up and performed. Yep. But it's it, it's not really the same thing. It's just it it because with Drogba you could see it coming. You could you could understand him in the in the game. You saw what was happening and everything. Whereas these players like Ansu, who just they just appear out of nothing, out of nowhere. Like that cross came in from Jordi Alba. Nobody was thinking, oh, Ansu Fati might get his head on this. Whereas you watch Drogba, anytime anyone crosses the ball, you're like Didier Drogba busting a gut to get in front of the defender and, and head it home, normally against Arsenal. But it's Ansu Fati, it just appears out of nowhere and, and just scores the goal. Or And some of the other goals he scored are, are the ones you can't say that were coming, like the goal against Inter Milan from outside the box. It's it's a strike that nobody expects him to, to make it and then he does it and he scores it. And I'll tell you what, that over kick at the end of the Madrid game and the over kick he, he tried against Benfica, I think it was. Next, the next one's going in, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you uh, on Ansu. And I want to say, too, about how Barcelona, for the first time this season, I mean, there's been no forward depth in any way all game, I mean, or all season long. And now for the first time under either manager this year, you get the sense that there are a lot of tools and a lot of weapons for Xavi to play with. And I think we got the first kind of the first notion because I want to almost rapid fire go through the different options right now and unfortunately Martin Brothwaite's still injured it's kind of excluded from that even if he's coming back soon but I, I think starting with the Ferran Torres debut I mean even trying to re-watch some of the headlines there really is no headlines to talk about from Ferran Torres he, he touched the ball 17 total times he got to the goal line one time and to me yeah I don't think there's anything to learn I think he you know, for a player that is his best quality is movement. We know that his best quality is finding open spaces. He did not look like he was fit enough to run and find those open spaces. So it really was just a matter of ceremoniously getting Ferran Torres the ball over on the right side and being like, hey, welcome to Barcelona. And I'm not going to take anything else really out of the match from Ferran Torres. I, I think we just haven't, we haven't seen him yet. Now he, he basically has a week to kind of get up to form and I'm excited to see him against Athletic Club. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that they started him as ceremoniously, like you say, or just to prove they managed to register him. That they, they did the financial <laughs> yeah. gymnastics they needed to do to, to get him on the pitch. And there's the proof. We've seen it now. But yeah, he, you know, he, he had a foot fracture off the field for three months and he had COVID. I just think it, there was there was no realistic way he was going to have a, a big impact on the game yesterday. I'm sure it was pre-agreed. He'd, he'd only played for half the match. Yeah. He did have one chance, which sort of came over from the left. I think it was Jordi Alba or maybe Dembele who crossed it. And then Ferran did quite well to find some space at the back post. Like you said, he does like he is good at that finding the space. But it was a very, very difficult attempt at a volley that he just sort of shanked well off target. He is a player I'm very excited to see when he is fit and firing because, well, for two reasons. One, he has tiene gol, as I like to say in Spain. He has that goal scoring ability. He improved so much in that field under Pep Guardiola playing in false line with Man City this season and even just scoring, you know, he scored a few goals last season as well, a much higher rate than he did when he was playing for Valencia, where he was exciting and he would take people on. And I mean, even just those words, take people on, it are words that you can't say about many Barca players, apart from perhaps Usman Dembele, who's, who's been injured for a, such long periods that having another player with that skill set is absolutely essential for Barca. And there's been so much talk about whether normally from people who, who don't like Barca, who are outside the club saying about whether Barca should be able to, after, to sign Ferran Torres after being in so much debt and all that. But I also think these people are, are, are a little bit bitter and 
that actually signing someone like Ferran Torres is actually a very good financial investment. 55 million euros for one of the most promising attacking players in the world who can cover multiple of uh, multiple positions, who can give you the, the goals you need this season in the here and now to get into the Champions League and earn at least 60 million for qualifying, which isn't, you know, it's not a lock. And I think that now that Simon Ferran Torres, they are much more likely to do that. So it's immediately pay back a, a chunk of that transfer fee if he does. And who can play for the club for 10 years. I think it's actually a, a wise financial investment to secure the finances for next season and beyond. I think the most essential part of his signing was the the wage number per year. That was the most important part. That was he going to, you know, was it was a new signing going to re-break your your wage structure? And the answer was no. He agreed to low enough wages where you said, okay, he's going to fit in a future structure so that we could do the Gabi and the Nico and the Rajo renewals, and we can put them all around similar numbers. So there's there's no exaggerated cost, which is what's going to re. I mean, we'll say we instigate the financial woes. But speaking of those, I mean, just to go back to Dembele real quick, that I think this also this match was also a, a show because we did see everybody, even Jukla, as you said, coming in late on in that match. You saw every single option he had at the forward line. And people were going after as Abde at the end there, as well as not really Jukla because he didn't really have enough. But people were going on uh, on the fact that Abde had come on and came off. But it did show you that Abde is still just a a newly 20 year old player who should have been playing with Barca B and that's okay. Where I, I think that Kool-Aid's have forgotten that young players can get better, especially young players like Abde, who, I mean, really wasn't quote unquote ready for the first team. He wasn't supposed to have a huge role in the first team. He surprised. And even if he goes back to Barca B because Ferran Torres is here now and Ansu's healthy. And even when Brothway comes back and there's no minutes and room for Abde, even though I must say, Xavi does want other actual natural wingers like Abde. So if Abde does perform well enough, I think he'll get time. But if he just doesn't really still have the ability to understand what's being asked of him fully, as in, does he hold on to the ball a little bit too much? Are there, is there things that need to change and improve in his decision making? Because now he goes back to Barca B with a huge amount of confidence and can work on and refine those things for the second half of the season. But yeah, so to say that Abde, oh, you need to, I, I, I mean, obviously this is nonsense, but those saying already sell him or whatever it is because his market value is so high, it, it's, it's a bit absurd to me. Just like, yeah, we have to give some players a little bit of time, right? You just have to be patient on some players. But for Dembele, I mean, just showing you that Dembele is good enough to play at the likes of Real Madrid of that level and be a contributor. I mean, and you said it, after a first shaky 30 minutes, he was excellent for the 90 after that. The five key passes, seven of seven on his dribbles, he actually won 16 of his 17 duels on the ground. And unlike against Granada, where he did not help Danny Alves defend in the least, Dembele actually helped Alba defend quite a bit on the other side. Carvalho, uh, Carvalho was pretty much stuck at the right back position because Dembele would just constantly on the front foot. And the times that Carvalho tried to get out of danger, I thought Barca actually pressed a bit on the, a little bit better on the left side than they did the right. And that is because, and I, uh, I know you already did the Dembele thing, I'll transition quickly to Luke de Young, and that Luke de Young showed you that he's capable of doing the good things that Luke de Young does, like scoring a header goal and getting some chances on headers. But also Luke de Young is definitely a part of the problem because he doesn't press well. Gabi was playing way too high 
to help him press. And so that was leaving so much space on that on Madrid's left side, which who was playing there, Vinny Jr. And it seemed like the same formula over and over. And it started with that spear of the attack. And it tells you and reminds you that if you have Memphis or Ansu or Luke, and I'll let you do the Memphis thing, because I mean, playing a false, I mean, playing a 10, it was a new thing. But but when you have Memphis or Ansu or Ferran Torres or one of those at the nine, you get a lot more on your press. And Luke de Young against a top level team that can play out of the back like Real Madrid, it just, again, he creates problems for you when you don't have the ball. But when you do have the ball, he is an option with his head. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there's, I'm going to say, this is going to sound like a criticism of Luke de Jong. And actually, I, I want to quickly first praise him for scoring three goals in three games, being, as Javi says, a top professional, and for for causing trouble for the defence when you've got the ball, like you say, in the air. And it's, it's amazing, some of the, the crosses. You can just fling across into the box. And a bit like I was saying about Drogba earlier, you know Luke de Jong is going to be able to get his head on it. And he was a bit unlucky earlier in the season. There was a couple of chances that he missed. And everyone's like, this is why you're here, to score these chances. And you know, it's a question of millimeters sometimes. He, he had about two, only two, two or three chances and, and he missed them, which is unfortunate for him. But, that, you know, if you don't get, if you don't create three or four chances for him, he's not going to score that goal because it's hard to score a goal in football. It's, I mean, Barcelona know that more than anyone this season, yeah. at least in the first half of it. But my criticism of him is this, like you say, not very helpful with the pressing. And it's, it is at odds with the style that Xavi wants to play. And I think that it's a double-edged sword. You need to chuck the ball into the box more often for him to be useful so he can have the chances to be able to score the goals that he's done in the last few weeks. At the same time, it often means you concede possession. And I've seen, there's a couple of Jordi Alba crosses in the game, which in my opinion, he shouldn't, he shouldn't be crossing in. He should be keeping the ball and, and moving it around, but decided to go for Luke Young, which is understandable. But then suddenly Real Madrid are on the counter. And if there's any team in La Liga, you don't want to counter on you at the moment. It, it's Real Madrid because of, because of Vinicius Jr., who did get the better of Dani Alves. I don't think it was, you know, it wasn't a, a whitewash. It wasn't, it was, you know, Dani Alves did okay at right back, but there was obviously the goal that Vinicius Jr. scored, although that was more of Sergio Busquets's fault. But yeah, if you if you have Luke De Jong, you, you you're almost you can't press as effectively, and you you are surrendering the ball more often than perhaps Barcelona would like to, because to play to his strengths, you have to just toss it into the box. Well, I think that's the worry about the the fullback positions and with Danny Alves. And I have to ask you now. I I, I thought about it with Sergio Des in the stands. Obviously, as an American, I'm a little biased, but it seems to me that either he hasn't been able to get fit, and I don't think Sergio Des has been fit all season, but. Danny Alves clearly showing you that obviously he's not 38. Uh, he was never the future, but even against a player like Vinicius Jr. in those biggest matches, you know, it might just be still, it might be too far to ask of Danny Alves, where Danny Alves is clearly a piece that can get you top four in the Liga. He is, he has walked in and become the starting right back over Mangetha. Roberto obviously still injured for the long term and questions about him being the long term right back as well. I think it's a fair question to ask. And then the other option is a 21 year old Serginho Dest who, in the same way that it's one thing, I guess, if Xavi says, hey, he positional play wise is just never going to get this. I've seen players that are just too lost and we got to ship him out. Um, or is it a case of the club even saying, hey, if Xavi's not totally sold in this 21 year old, we've got to cut with somebody who has market value, you know, because we can't just keep doing the players that don't really <laughs> that have a, a severely reduced market value. Or is it that, again, maybe I'm being overtly optimistic and saying, I mean, I don't know, but him being in the stand says it's one or the other. It's that he's either not fit yet at all or it's the more likely one is that his time at the club is pretty much over but I mean what is your response if he goes to Chelsea or Bayern Munich 
at this point. I mean, wouldn't that mean, and not say bad business for Barcelona, but it, it just feels like another very, very young fullback position, uh, a fullback player is being sent out and your options once more are Danny Alves and Magetha and Roberto. That must mean that either Mazraoui or some other right back is completely lined up for the summertime. It, it, I mean, unless, for me, that would just be uh, almost negligent if, if not. Yeah, you'd hope so. I mean, that'd be a good option, wouldn't it, Mazraoui? But it's, it, I think it's like a perfect storm in a way of, of both those two factors you said. It is the fact that you can get money from Serginio Dest. He's not someone who's just going to bring you a pittance. You can sell him for at least what you, you bought him for. I personally think that Xavi doesn't trust him, because probably because he doesn't think he can play positionally, probably because he thinks that he's not a player that is going to improve to the level that, that he wants. And we saw he had chances, Serginio Dest, in attack this season, playing on the wing, and you can't blame him for, for not being a good finisher. He's a right back, but you know he did he did miss some quite big chances, and I've never been particularly convinced by him. He scored that great goal for America, uh, the US in the Paramount competition. It was but he cut inside and, and scored. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that probably isn't going to happen regularly, even if he does play so. in more, <laughs> yeah, more advanced areas. I think that Serginio Dest is just one of those where, in the short term. Xavi believes Danny Alves can come in and, and do a perfectly good job this season. Yeah, not in the top, top games. But like I said, how many top, top games are Barca going to play in the rest of the season? Not many. Probably count them on one hand. Right. I mean, it's yeah, that, there's that thing where in the Europa League, again, those those games matter, I guess. But also they kind of don't if you get top four and get the Champions League next year that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, matches matter because you have to get top four. But in the same way that Sergino Des is clearly good enough for La Liga. He's good enough to be your... 10th best starter or 11th best starter against again the middle i mean uh, teams from 8 to 20 in the liga he can play in those in those circumstances but yes i think it it has much more to do i think with the market even but yeah you're right it's a, a confluence of all those things now when we talk about fitness and the questions are with dest but xavi also showed you yesterday that whether it was Ferran torres that he's willing to play players that aren't totally fit <laughs> at least he was yesterday in a match again that didn't truly matter because now talking about the midfield, Rick, this is where our this is where things get challenging because this is where I think the dialogue, as much as Kool-Aid's were united on optimism after El Clasico, where the everyone seems to always say that now the midfield needs, you need to choose your starting trio. You have to, uh, like uh, on those old video games, right? The arcade, you have to choose your fighter. And so <laughs> I, I feel like uh, people were like, okay, so if, if that player that I want to see start in my midfield trio is not starting then the others must be gone. So I saw a ton of, and I'm not saying just one, I say a ton of dialogue about Busquets, you know, get him out. It's done after that Benzema goal. I mean, uh, not goal, but after Benzema took the goal, the ball off him and then coming the other way, it was a problem. And so Busquets, he's finished, get him out. De Young should be the pivot. And then I saw others say, where was De Young? De Young, another no-show. Sell him when his market value is high. He's out, right? And, and it seems like you get both sides of every debate. And now Barca seem to, I mean, clearly with Pedri reminding us how important he can be. Now Barca do have, I mean, five solid midfield options. And I think Nico has actually been in the best form of all five of them, even arguably over the last month. And he is clearly fifth on that depth chart behind the likes of Busquets and De Jong and Pedri and Gabi. And then it's Nico. But I think not to say that yesterday was a mulligan as a whole, but I think it was Busquets' worst 45 minutes under Xavi. Of course, the giveaway is inexcusable. But you clearly saw when Pedri's mobility returned. And Pedri, I was, I mean, I was scared about Pedri, obviously, and his fitness. But Pedri clearly was more fit 
than De Young was. De Young was to me in no way fit. I know he had the he headed down for the what led to the Luke De Young goal, but he was not running. He just was not moving well at all. He wasn't pressing well. I didn't. I think that it wasn't even the timing of his runs, but he just was a bit slow to even start his gallop. And every time Barca would lose the ball, it looked like he was frustrated. But I think he was frustrated because he physically could not do the jobs I think he knew he was going to get criticized for doing. Because if you're on the field, that should mean that you're fit enough to be on the field. But I don't think he was. And I think that really hurt Busquets in the first half. And then when Pedri comes on, but to me, people believe that's a referendum on the whole season. And and I I don't know. I'm trying to, I think, does it sound like I'm making an excuse for Frankie de Young here and Busquets? No, I don't think it sounds like you're making an excuse. I think it's a fair point. I don't, I don't understand why Nico didn't start over Frankie de Young if, yeah, if Frankie wasn't fit. He didn't look fit, like you say. And on Siempre Pod, I, I always do the player ratings every week. And the other day, at the half po- halfway point of the season, I calculated the average rating I'd given to all the players. Top of the list in the whole of the Barca squad, Nico. So for me, he, he's been Barca's best player this season. And notwithstanding that game against Atletico Madrid, where he, where he really suffered. And I thought perhaps maybe in Javi's thinking yesterday that came into it, that he thought in, in the one sort of big, big game that Nico started for, for me, or for it was Ronald Koeman at the time, started for Barca, they... Uh, that he that he struggled, so maybe he thought I'll, I'll I'll bench him for this one and bring back Frankie, who has a bit more experience. I mean, he's still young himself, Frankie de Jong. So, but he has more experience and he has that hierarchy. They like to say in in Barcelona, in Spain, really. And I don't know if that was a good choice. And going forward, I think you've actually got all those players can be useful. There's no one. I don't want to be uh, radical about it. There's no none of those midfielders need to be like bombed out. Sergio Busquets has caught a lot of criticism, like you say, for his bad first half, but he was much better with Pedri on the pitch. I think that Busquets, in the same, same way to Sergio Dest, for most games you're going to play this season, Sergio Busquets is going to be a good pick to have in midfield, to have in the pivot. Is Frankie de Jong's best long-term position in the Busquets role? I've said that I think so in the past, but I'm increasingly less sure because de Jong, I, I don't know if he's got if he, if he wants to stay there if he wants to sit there he seems to be his best sort of attribute is to drive forward with the ball which obviously isn't a very good ability to to have if you're playing in the pivot position because then you're out of position when when teams counter on you yeah. you'll have just the center backs like completely ripped open by you know fast players same for Nico because physically of course he's 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 quite imposing and people might think oh that would be good to have him in the in the six position but He's another one who is very good at driving forward the ball. I think Barca benefited a lot from him and Gavi, both pressing from advanced midfield positions this season because they have that energy and they have that, that either willingness in terms of Gavi to win the ball back, sometimes stretching a little bit too far back, as we saw with his red card the other day, or Nico, who is actually very, very good at it. And he's won the ball back in, in and around the penalty area multiple times this season, which is, is gold for a team. So maybe you want that higher up the pitch. And actually... As odd as it sounds, given that for Spain in the summer, he did an amazing job in an attacking role, Pedri. Pedri makes a lot of sense to have deeper on the pitch. But that's what he did in extra time. Did you notice again that he was part of the, he was the pivot in in extra time as well with Busquets still on the field because Barca were pushing players forward in that manner. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's harsh on Pedri in a way because last season he was at his most thrilling and most exciting when he was playing really close to Lionel Messi in attack. But then second half of the season, he was playing really close to Sergio Busquets and Barca were a lot better. Pedri wasn't as, you know, he didn't shine. You wouldn't give him, you know, more than a seven out of 10 in any any game because he was just solid, just playing in that role, wasn't getting too involved in sort of in and around the penalty area. He was sitting deep, 
But Barca went on an, an amazing winning run and they should have won the league title and, and they blew it. But it was that run came with, with Pedri sitting there and, and helping Busquets. So I think there's there's different set and Javi will, will tinker. And I think there's different setups yeah. he can use for, for different games. And this one to me seemed a bit wrong to play Frankie when he's obviously half fit. But that seems to be a problem and that, that, that's been highlighted by, of all people, Usman Dembele's agent this week talking about I'm sure he's got his own angle on it, of course, trying to get more money for Dembele or whatever. But he was saying that it's not just about money. It's also about the fact that Javi played Dembele when he just come back from COVID, hadn't, you know, hadn't been training or anything. So maybe that's a, an area where Javi could be a little bit more careful going forward. I mean, of course, I mean, injuries have been, and again, it's making excuse as a Kool-Aid, but injuries have detracted from Barca's season more than anything else other than losing little Messi, I, I think. And I, I think on the point of Frankie de Young and where he fits that, that old quote, a rising tide raises all ships is what I think about where when we were speaking about the forward line and it is an upgrade. Ansu Fati as a nine is an upgrade on Luke de Young as a nine. It just it is what it is. I mean, just Luke because Ansu is the danger in the air, but he's also helping with the press. He's also helping with buildup in the same way that Abde, who is a young player who can dribble a lot. You replace that with Baron Torres, who showed you with Spain and with Man City what he's capable of. And those upgrades around the field, around the midfield, is going to mean that De Jong isn't going to have that same responsibility to make as many forward runs. And I think you saw, especially last year, especially last year, he was languishing to, to have to make between eight and 12 of those runs into the box to even like one or two of those had to be a goal or else Barca didn't have a chance in some of those matches. Even with Messi last season, it just felt like Barca were going to have so few real opportunities and they had so few players to put the ball in the back of the net because Griezmann wasn't really doing it and it was coming down to Messi and then whatever one of, it's like the old cartoon show, Spider-Man and his amazing friends where you knew that Messi was going to do his thing, but what other guest star superheroes were going to show up that week? And if if it wasn't, and it was a solo act, then his the rogues gallery and his villains are going to take advantage of him. And that's kind of what I felt <laughs> with Messi last year. And I think with De Young, you again, you even saw in, in the game yesterday where with Ferran Torres not really being effective, and again, Dembele not really showing up until the 30th minute, there was just this responsibility on De Young to be an important player in the box. But then in the second half, when Pedri comes on, uh, and I would say, again, it was huge that it wasn't just Pedri, but it was multiple changes as well. Then Ansu adding to that later on. And as Barcelona got more mobile, as Barcelona were able to run more, and it's not that the press increased, but it was that the intensity increased, that the, just the amount of distance covered on the field offensively, the movement, the ball moved quicker a bit in that second half. It's why Barcelona were able to take control. And it's not that it was Pedri or De Jong. It was that multiple players were switched out that weren't fit, that were fit, and that allowed the ball to move. And as I said, with the rising tide, at lifting all ships is that Pedri, his movement and Ansu and his movement. And then Memphis, when he came on as a 10, Barca were just so much more energized. And that meant that if De Jong had stayed on the field and taken the place, let's say De Jong was actually fit and Gabi came off for Pedri and Pedri comes on, I think almost the same result happens. I don't think it was a matter of Frankie De Jong. I think a fit Frankie De Jong is, is then able to allow Pedri to go up into the box a bit more because Pedri, when he makes his runs into the box, as he did like right when the second half began, his intent is not the same. De Jong's is, I, I got to get ahead on this or I got to make this happen. Uh, Pedri's is to create space. It's to, if I receive the ball, I'm going to try to cut it back in or I can take a shot myself, I guess so. But it really is to really extend all space up in that box. 
And De Jong doesn't really do that thing because his seem to have much more purpose to them in that Pedri's is more, this is step two of five, of five steps into the goal where De Jong's has to be the move before the more, the move before the move, if you will. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I think that De Jong and Nico, for example, are more similar than De Jong and Pedri in terms sure. of what they add going forward. I mean, obviously Nico is, is I mean, they're all very technically gifted. You, you don't really get the chance to get to Barcelona if you're not barring certain emergency scenarios. But speaking of which, I actually think that when Martin Brathwaite comes back, that's going to add a lot too, because he's similar profile to Luke de Jong in the sense that he's a striker, but he's got that speed to get in behind. He's got, he's more direct, I think, in the sense that he's happy to run at goal, which you can't, something you can't really imagine Luke de Jong doing. There was a line in, I think it was Diario Sports player ratings for the Classico game. And it was just talking about how, out of the box, nothing about Luke De Jong makes sense, but in it, he sort of he gives that gives that sense and gives that yeah. reason. Would and you obviously that's both, where the boss have suffered. Would you keep Brothwaite and Luke De Jong? Because again, I mean, Luke De Jong, all you do is lose his wages, and if you've already registered everyone, there's no point in getting rid of and, and canceling that loan. But for Brothwaite, he also has no market value right now because he hasn't played all season. So, do you think almost out of necessity, they're both going to be stuck? They're, I mean, not stuck, but they're both going to stick around. It does sound like Barca do are interested in in losing Luke De Jong, but then he's just scored three goals in three games. Yep. And if Xavi says no, 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 I need this guy just as a the option that actually he came to Barca to be, which was off the bench to change a game. Yeah, and we've seen Xavi's not afraid of that, not with Luke De Jong because he's had to start all these games, but with Pique and Ronald Araujo in the end of the game yesterday going up front. You know, Xavi is not afraid of putting those players up there if, if he needs to at the end of the game. It's obviously not Plan A. So maybe Javi will say, look, he's only costing, what, in wages a million or something? Not, not very much money between now and the end of the season. So we may as well keep him. And, and we don't know how Brathwaite comes back. Maybe, maybe it takes a long time to get back. I kind of doubt it. I think that, that Brathwaite is, is, is obviously an incredible professional, like Luke De Jong, and is absolutely raring to go. I saw some quote you said the other day about him looking forward to scoring a hat-trick this year for, for Barcelona. His, yeah. very, his mentality is, is definitely elite, Martin Brathwaite. I think that Xavi will have been hurt by all these injuries and coronavirus uh, positives and everything like that over the past few weeks or a couple of months since he's been in charge. And, and just think, honestly, if if it's not a, an urgency to, to register anyone else, then just keep all the, the warm bodies we can because you never know what's around the corner. Right. I mean, injuries and yeah, you're right. The, uh, the virus as well. So it could be an issue. And for Barcelona as, as glass-like as they have been and all the physical problems. Yeah, you're right. You need as many, as many bodies as humanly possible. Now, I think, I think we hit all of it. I think the only warm, the two warm bodies for Barca, we didn't mention, I believe were just PK and Ter Stegen. I think the only two names that we didn't throw out there, but you know, I don't think I have anything to say about Ter Stegen and PK, I think continues to be a leader at the back for Xavi. And I, you know, the, the few that say it's time to move on are just saying that it's time to move on from the veterans. But I mean, the only criticism I think that it deserved to PK this season under Xavi, at least is just that, yeah, I mean, is he the guy to be able to push Barcelona over the edge of one of these big matches? And you guess the same thing, Busquets and Alba. But other than that, I, I think PK has just been really good. And even dealing with Benzema, I thought PK and Araujo, I think they did. They did well. They did their job, and I think it was Alva that struggled. Uh, Alves that struggled a bit more with Vinny Junior. Than I mean, I don't know. I, I thought what I actually would would have done would I I would have done that experiment where you put Araujo out on the right back spot and deal with Vinny Junior that way, and Alves would have come off. 
but like lay doesn't move the ball well enough in possession to be trusted in that spot. So I think the player that you needed was Eric Garcia, who is, you know, oddly enough, the one injured player not available, but yeah, I mean, do you mind a final word on El Clasico? I mean, I don't, I think, I think we covered everything, right? Yeah, I think, I think good. I, on those players you mentioned, PK for me, since Javi's come in has been, been perhaps Barca's best player since, yeah, I since Javi's come in. He's been phenomenal. And I doubted it. I, I really did because I thought, wow, if they're playing, high up the pitch there's no way pk is getting back to to sort of make those last ditch tackles if if they, if needs be if if they're your position of breaking but he's done really well and honestly i think that he gets more criticism than he deserves Jared pk from in terms of his ability as as a footballer some of the off the field stuff is as up to people to opine as they as they wish whether they should be posting his salary or whatever on on twitter or not and araujo for me i know he was he was quote unquote guilty for the, the goal in the sense that Vinicius Jr. beat him to score the goal. But what tell me what defender in world football stops Vinicius in that position yep. when when he's there. You know, that's just one of those things. Apart from that, exceptional and my God, he played he had surgery on Friday and he played yeah, on, yeah. on Wednesday night. It's incredible. Yeah, it's I always I always joke, but it's true. Like I can't eat like meat on one day and then four or five days later. I mean, and that's what I warn people. That's what your 30s do. Yeah, is it? <laughs> but he's <laughs> thankfully he's still young and yeah, completely broken hand. So the last thing here, I, I mean, it's a I guess a quick eulogy to the Barcelona career of Yusuf Demir. He was he's gone as quick as he was he arrived. Uh, he was a bright, talented. I mean, he still is. He's <laughs> still 18 years old. So he was a talented young player that was brought in from Rapid Vienna for Barca B. And I think it was just unfortunate that he was given the the, the 11 shirt. I, I think if he had played with Barca B, we would having been having a different conversation. But Kuman felt like he needed him. And Xavi clearly feels like he doesn't. And I also think in Xavi's system, and this is really just the manager change is the end of Demir. And it's also financial too. I mean, Barca don't have the 10 million euros to use because, I mean, five times of that got you Ferran Torres. So Demir is just too far and it was too soon. And that's unfortunate because I think for... With him, I think of uh, Alan Halilovic, where Halilovic was brought way too soon to Barcelona, even for Barca B, it wasn't really working, never really made it in the first team. But for Demir, yeah, it felt like he made the move maybe a year too soon. But clearly there's talent there. And I just hope that somewhere, I, I think he would be a great player in the, I mean, he's in the Austrian Bundesliga, but I think a move to the Bundesliga first would probably be great for him sometime. I don't know what kind of club, but whether it was a Leverkusen or a Wolfsburg or something, I think that's kind of more the level he'll be for the next year or two or three years or whatever, and then reevaluate. But it's a shame that you, he's now for Barcelona, the same thing with Tadebo, where if he winds up being a Tadebo like talent, you could say, oh, Barca had him and then they let him go and that's on them. But this wasn't the right moment. And it's, it's a shame because now you're, I mean, maybe someday they go back to the well, but usually that, that doesn't happen. Yeah, I think the two problems are one that I think Ronald Koeman wanted to repeat what he did with Pedri last season. Saw Pedri in preseason and was like, oh, this guy is incredible. I'm going to use him right away. And it worked brilliantly. And then saw Yusuf Demir in preseason and he was good. You know, he was very bright in those preseason friendlies. And he wanted to catch lightning in a, in a, in a bottle twice. I don't know if that's uh, the right metaphor to use, but... It was that kind of cost him here because then he played those those early games under Ronald Koeman and then can't literally couldn't be played again without triggering that that clause in another time in a in a Barca. The other problem I, I referred to earlier was that the injuries this season. In another time, you also wouldn't need to use Yusuf Demir so much. Right. He'd be happily playing for Barca B and would would have got his chance maybe 
instead of Eze Abde now, for example, or Ilias Akomach. Maybe they'd be like, oh, let's get that Yusuf Tamir we signed to come into the, the squad and play a few games at this point. But because of how stricken Barca have been all season, and obviously losing Lionel Messi in the summer somewhat unexpectedly, then they, they decided to go with Demir from the, from the off and and that basically just uh, burst his bubble before it even began, really. Then there was just no hope because he, he didn't really show enough when he played. He had some moments. I think it was against Benfica that he hit the post. He had he was sort of close control and close dribbling is, was very good. But the other issue is Xavi needs his wingers to be fast. I don't think Demir is that fast. He's not... Usman Dembele, he's not Ferran Torres. He's not an Antifati. I haven't really seen Antifati run long distances, like sprinting down the wing or anything. He, he's quite fast in small bursts, but he's not, you know, he's faster than uh, Yusuf Tamir. So, yeah, I think the Bundesliga and, and maybe in five years we'll be like, wow, what a waste, what an amazing playmaker Yusuf Tamir yeah. has become. But I, at the moment, it's completely the right decision to, to let him go. Yeah, and then again, it's twenty twenty. It's it's hindsight. If you have, if you could potentially get a good talent, you do get a great talent like Demir is one of the most promising teenagers in world football. But having a Komash and knowing he existed does make that puzzling. They're only a few months apart, even in age. And as Komash was making the move up to Barca B, we've seen him out with the first team that he does have that raw ability and is very much like Yusuf Demir. He's a right winger who likes to invert, likes to get a shot off. And I think with Demir, you're right about Benfica. If he had scored, I mean, you're talking about five inches being the difference between him scoring a brace and his Barca career ending, which I, I do. It's almost like the Luke the Young thing we're talking about now, that if the ball goes in the net, and Barca wind up getting result against Benfica because of Yusuf Demir and stay in the Champions League. I don't see how they could have possibly not paid. Right? Those were one of, each of those goals would have been five million euro goals because of, <laughs> if that was the case. So, but anyway, now you got me thinking too about if you have bottles and you're trying to catch lightning in bottles, is it a different thing of lightning in every bottle, or can you try to catch two bolts of lightning in the same bottle? But I mean, Rick, I, I think. Now that those are the questions we're asking, I think that means the show has to come to an end. So I want to uh, <laughs> thank you for coming on and ask you. I mean, I think people, uh, so many of our listeners, not to say that Sampro Positivo, I, I always say it, is it's a different show. It's three professional journalists living in Barcelona. And so there's a different conversation going on here than yours. I also try not to listen to yours until after I record mine, because I don't want to get all of your great ideas into my head and then have our show almost be a parrot of yours and you guys being in Europe also get to record earlier in the day. So yeah, I mean, I, I always tell people, Check out Sampro Positivo, but also, Rick, you do a lot of work on your own, so I just want to give you a little room here to plug all of your stuff, uh, as well as, I guess, I mean, for the two people of my show that don't listen to Sampro Positivo, what's the elevator pitch for them? Okay, well, Sampro Pod, I think you've, you've summed it up very nicely. Thank you very much, Dan. <laughs> that, that is, you know, we are three journalists who work in Barcelona. I think, especially Tony and Sam at the moment, because they both work in, are doing a lot of news work, so yeah. they have quite good inside info into the club, especially. Tony gets all the the kind of inside Catalan media stories, Tony is very good with them. So he, he gives a bit, a lot of insight that otherwise you simply can't get from, from anywhere. And, and often stuff that you can't publish, but Tony can say it on the pod, which is, which is useful. And in terms of other work, goal.com I write for, and I've been doing a lot of work with Barca TV. I was on Barca TV last night for the game. And so anyone who watches the club's official channel, maybe I've, I've become too, positive and two pro Barca have been been infected by all that positivity from the the internal media channel. <laughs>
I don't know. I mean, I think the term is siempre positivo. I think, I think maybe it's, uh, <laughs> you're not living, you're living the adage, but thanks so much, uh, Rick. Again, you can follow him on Twitter. He's a, a big follow on Twitter down in the show notes. Just click on his name. It'll head, uh, send you over to his Twitter account. Of course, you can find us at the Barcelona pod or at healthy D 13 for me. We have a Facebook group, Patreon, as well as a YouTube channel as well, where we're trying to get 10,000 subscribers. So you can subscribe over there. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, talk to you soon. Or the Barca. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.